Hello, everybody. This is Anthony Harris one more time with Looking Back, Moving Forward. And today I have such a, an exciting opportunity to speak with a young man who is, uh, he, he, he epitomizes the, the, what we look for in educators. And this is somebody who has looked at teaching and looking at, at the whole field of education as a calling for him. And those efforts have been recognized by the state of Texas in that he has been named teacher of the year for the entire state of Texas. And that's a great honor. That means people have recognized the, the efforts that he's put forward, the, the progress that he's made with his kids and the, the excellent work that he does as an educator. That's, that's one thing. But the other unique thing about this young man is that he's the first black teacher to ever be named teacher of the year for the state of Texas. And he will be going on to compete with others around the country next year for perhaps teacher of the year for the whole country. But we're excited tonight to have Mr. Eric Hale, H-A-L-E, Mr. Eric Hale, who is a second grade teacher at the David G. Burnett uh, Elementary School in Dallas. And this is an area where 98% of the students live below the national poverty line. And I'm going to introduce him and just have him talk about his background, where he came from. He has a very compelling story to tell. He has a very inspirational story to tell about, after you hear his story, as you hear listening to his story, I want you to think about the odds that he would be where he is today. Statistically speaking, some people might say, this brother shouldn't have made it this far. He should not have been, he should not have made it out of the circumstances in which he found himself years ago as a kid growing up. But he, he got through all of that, and there's a reason he got through it all, and that's why I say it's very inspirational. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Mr. Eric Hale. Thank you, Eric, for being here. Uh, thank you so much. It's an honor. Okay. Well, what I want to do is, is, is get you to talk about your story. If you, and start at any point you would like, but I, I think your, your background as, as, a, as a young kid growing up in, in West Phoenix, Arizona, you had some challenges and you had some, some obstacles to deal with and you've overcome those obstacles to, to be where you are today. So share with us, if you don't mind, just your, your background and, and give us sort of a chronological um, piece on where, where you came from and where you are now. Okay, well, I am the oldest of three. I got two other siblings, a little uh, sister and a little brother. Um, growing up, I never knew who my real father was. I was raised to believe that my stepfather was my real father. Uh, my stepfather was 100% disabled uh, from the Marines. Uh, he was a schizophrenic. And so I'm 41. So these are the times before they get the dosage right when it comes to medication. So it was a, it was a, a very... Uh, weird cycle to say the least because we had a situation where my mom was a very strong woman very uh, domineering uh woman and um he you know listened to my mother but it was a cycle where she would yell at him and make him feel bad for taking his medicine but when he would take his medicine he would be zonked out in the bathroom asleep days at a time but so then this would go on she you know be upset with them, not helping around the house. So then he would be like, okay, well, I don't need my medicine. And then when he didn't take his medicine, it was like living with the guy um, from The Shining. Here's Johnny. He would hear voices. He would walk around the neighborhood talking to himself. Uh, most of the time, the object of his affection when he was off his med meds was me. I found out later it was because I was not his son. He came into the picture when I was two years old. My grandmother, uh, rest her soul, influenced my mom to, it's, it's, it's from what I've, I've heard the story goes, uh, to, you know, stay with him because he had money. And, you know, old school, hey, this guy is in the military. He's got money. He, you know, he just, you know, takes care of you. You should stay with this guy. Not knowing that he was receiving so much money in the checks from the government because he was 100% disabled. And, you know, 
there's a lot of mysticism around schizophrenia now, but let alone, you know, when I was, you know, back in 81, then. Um, so growing up was tough. Um, it was a lot of mental abuse. So he would scare me up and act like he was going to hit me much more than he actually beat me. But then when he would get a hold of me, I mean, it, it, it got, it got pretty rough, but the emotional trauma was much worse than the actual physical uh, trauma. Um, what was worse than that was the, re the cold reception I got at my local elementary school. In our community, the whole community knew that I was the child of the town crazy. Because he would come up to the school, the school would have to go on lockdown, and then, you know, we would have to leave, and then we'd go to a battered women's shelter, then we'd be there for a couple of months, then we'd go back to our house. And so it was a neighborhood school. So I moved back in my house. I would go back to the same elementary school. I've uh, been in a situation where I've literally heard teachers at my elementary school make comments in the lounge and say, man, you know, that, that, that boy has talent. If he wasn't being abused, if he didn't live in that home, if, you know, they weren't uh, poor, he might be able to make it. And so... I would say that more than anything, the reason why I teach and the teaching style that I have now and the reason why I'm so passionate about uh, the profession as a whole is I'm driven by uh, really the ghost of the educators that I wish I had, the educators that I needed as a child, not because of the educators that I received. So I'm more... Uh, motivated by what I did not receive in my American public school education than for anything that I, I did receive. Well, what, um, do you, what, do you, what do you do with your kids differently than what your teachers did with you? Uh, really, I focus on my personal uh, uh, creed, which I've developed over time. And really, for me, it's the three A's. So first, that's advocacy. Uh, next, that's accountability. I hold every stakeholder accountable for, for the success of my kids, starting with myself, to the parents, to the local Dallas business community, to the children itself. Um, as a collective, we create a shared vision of what success looks like, and I hold everybody accountable uh, to that. So I start off with advocacy, then it's accountability, and then lastly, it's action. Uh, the main thing that I received when I was a child was uh, 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 sympathy, which turned into empathy, which then later turned into apathy. What I needed was action. I needed somebody that was going to say, this child not only has talent, but he deserves the right and the opportunity to grow up to be a productive member of society. Nobody fought for me. So the main thing is that the children in the school community that I serve, they know I will fight for them. That's they the advocacy that, part. That's the advocacy. Yeah. You're going to advocate for them and not just advocate, but you're going to hold yourself accountable. You're going to hold all the stakeholders accountable. Then it leads to action. You do something, right? Yes. And, and, and the doing part is the hard part. You have, you know, different, I guess it's the same in every profession, you get different uh, levels of people that work and their uh, uh, aspirations in their profession. But what separates the cream of the crop is the action. Anybody can say a lot of things. Anybody can dream big. Anybody with a great plan. Very few can execute a plan, come hell or high water. And I think that that's what separates me. It's not always pretty, but, but my track record and the community knows, like, if Mr. Hill says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He's going to figure out a way to do it. 
tangible things that we can reach out and touch. And um, that's basically uh, what I try to keep my brand is and, and really focus on just serving, service. Talking about action, you, you were involved in raising some funds. Was it $100,000? I read where you, you got involved in a fundraiser for your community and your school. Can you tell us about that? Um, well, yeah, um, it, it really started about three or four years ago. I was invited to a big event to be the keynote education speaker for an organization, um, the Dallas, I want to say, uh, Chamber of Commerce. They have a, a leadership class. It's called uh, Leadership Dallas. And so this is where they pick the 55 best young business leaders of all different sects of the community. And they do like a year long fellowship and they attack issues like healthcare and, and, and education and see if they can um, leave an a, a imprint. And so I was asked to be the education speaker for education day. And so I asked them, I said, well, you know, have you ever had a teacher actually bring students? They said, oh, no, no, no. We never had anybody even think about doing anything like that. So I was able to secure a bus, and I brought 14 of my brightest students um, hidden in a back room. And we came out right when their lunch was over with a school bell, and I was able to give them the authentic Mr. Hill experience while my first graders were leading the learning. And so they're, they're, they're teaching at a high level partners of, of major law firms, Fortune 500 companies. And I knew this was my opportunity. Um, my school is so poor that we get some resources, but we were always in a situation where it was like, well, we might have enough money to get entrance in, in a place, but we don't have enough money to actually pay for the buses to get there or we can get the buses, but we can't pay the entry fee. And the reason why is um, in Dallas ISD, if your poverty level of your school is so low, they don't even allow you to ask the parents for any help mm. for the field trip. So I looked up and noticed that I felt like, man, when was the last time these kids were on a field trip? And I'm talking to some other teachers and they're like, oh, well, you know, we don't really go on field trips, you know, you know our area, we're poor. And, and, it, and it just bothered me. I said, you know, if I think I'm that good there's got to be a way that i can change this i can't think i'm as good as i am and and we just allow this to be status quo because i know how much representation matters so then when i got this opportunity i had quickly did the math i said well i got 500 dollars saved up i said but if i get 55 people to just match my 500 dollars, that'd be about thirty thousand dollars and so I went for it. So when I, that was my first time doing a big ask. They told me, well, what's your big ask? And so I put my money aside. Then I asked them to match me. Well, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. But I ended up raising about $8,500. And I was able to take every child at the school on two field trips. So that was 700 students. Um, but more importantly than the money, was a connection I made to the DFW business community. That group of people went out of their way to help me. They poured hours of community service into my school. I was able to bring congressmen, you name it. And it, it kind of snowballed into an unofficial, um, kind of like a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And so then the next year, uh, it went so well that they asked me to come back. And so that had never happened before to do the education day again. I did the same thing. This time I got like $6,000, but what happened was I planted a seed. So last year our school was hit by an F3 tornado. So our school was one of the schools. We weren't completely destroyed, but our gym was completely leveled and the community was devastated. You can still see some of the devastation today. Well, the other schools down the street were completely leveled, but I was kind of mad. I was saying, hey, we, we got hurt too. They kept getting money. We weren't getting anything. Hmm. And so I said, man, I got to do something about this. 
And so I, I, I started just like reaching out to different people like, hey, we were affected too. Well, God worked it that um, they did a, a, like a newspaper article and they put all the schools that were affected and they put a little, little something about my school. Well, a lady who was in the leadership Dallas class of the year, uh, I guess that would have been 2019 or 2018, she was touched by my children and me, and she never forgot me and my kids. She said, oh, my God, that's Mr. Hill's kids. Well, she's the VP of giving at PNC Bank. Hmm. So they were already going to give $50,000 to the general fund. She fought and advocated for my students who advocated for themselves, and she got that money earmarked for my school. So that was $50,000 that she brought to my school that was only given to our school because of the impact my kids left. And this is yeah. you doing this. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm struck by the fact that, and from what I hear you saying, you were out there on the front line. You were leading this effort of, of advocacy and getting into action and you, and you were referring to it as your school, not your class, but you were interested in the whole school after the tornado. And, and yeah. kids, all the kids not being able to go on field trips. And I think that's, so I need to ask you, who else was working with you? Who else was co-advocating with you? Nobody, it's just, it's just me and my students and that my students take pride and what they've been able to accomplish. Um, their fingerprints are all over our school. When you walk into our school, the banners that you see uh, that tell the school that we are a gold ribbon school, um, my kids, money from, from my kids and what we've raised paid for that 30 foot banner to let the community have a sense of pride and what, what the teachers are doing. Um, the artwork in our auditorium, that's for me reaching out to uh, a famous uh, art theater troupe coming, performing live, doing live artwork of, of the students. That, that's because of my kids and connections uh, that I made. Uh, being one-to-one -one with technology. When we got the 50,000, COVID hit strong, and we were going, we didn't have enough technology for the lower grades. So my principal, reached out to PNC Bank and said, hey, um, they haven't started working on our gym yet, but really the technology is more of an issue right now than, than the gym. Can we use that money? Uh, my friend Amber, the VP, she said, no, don't worry about it. I adopted Mr. Hill's class and therefore I adopted you. They gave us $30,000 more for COVID relief technology. So now we are one-to-one -one with technology because of another $30,000 that was given to us on behalf of me and the, and, a, and the advocacy of my students. So when you add the, that, that's 80. Then the 10,000 I got to help my kids from Kelly Clarkson. Then the other, give or, give or take 20, 25,000. And we're not counting the hours of community service. We're not counting the technology that uh, I held my alma mater accountable for so I could teach my kids all summer long when I counted that. If, if we were to add up everything and put a monetary value to it outside of just the hard cash, I've probably raised $160,000 in the last three years. That's remarkable. My, that's in my incredible. school community. That's incredible. And that's, that's your, that's your heart driving you to do that. You know, values drive behavior. And, and obviously what's driving you is the value you place on equity and education and, and making sure kids, regardless of their zip code, regardless of their income level, regardless of the skin, the color of their skin, that they are entitled to the same advantages and benefits that kids who have a different set of circumstances. And, you know, it's on the one hand, part of me says it's great that you're doing the fundraising and I, and I applaud you for it, but there's something about our society in my view that would, would stand back 
and say, okay, he's got to go out and find his own money. You know, he's got to go out and, and find money for field trips. When I was on the school board in, in commerce, we used to have uh, one act plays and UIL people, kids and so forth who needed to go to competition at the, at the uh, area or district level. And the parents wanted to go out and do fundraisers. They wanted to sell cupcakes and bake sales and all those things. And I always said, no, these are our kids. Okay. These yeah. are our kids. And, and, and I, and not to knock football, if the football players needed to go to a district playoff, we're going to find the money to make sure they don't have to do a bake sale to get a bus to go play a football game. We should have that same level of concern and expectations when it comes to budgeting and spending money for those kids who are doing things that are not non-athletic, <laughs> things that are non-athletic kinds of things. Exactly. And again, I'm not knocking athletics because athletics uh, serve a, a really important purpose in our school. But I, and I think that's what makes your, your story so, so important to tell and so compelling to know about is that while it's one thing to say these, the school district ought to be doing something more than what they're doing, you didn't say, okay, I can't do anything. The school doesn't care. The school board doesn't care. The super, I mean, if the district doesn't care, then why should I care? You didn't take that. You said, okay, I'm going to not punish these kids or have these kids um, lagging behind. And just because of uh, their poverty and living in a, a low-income area. And I know how important it is to take kids on field trips, to let them see a world outside of that community, that maybe four or five block area where they spend the majority yeah. of their time, to let them know there's a world outside there. And you're planting the seed that you can, you can go to these places, you can take the blinders off and, and just have this whole new world open up to you. Now, for us, it may be a small world, but to them, it's a huge world. And, and I remember back when I was in commerce, we, I had a, an after-school mentoring program for African-American boys, and we had kids in that program who had never been outside of Hunt County, okay? And we took them to Dallas one day. Are you familiar with, with commerce? I think you did some... Yeah, yeah, that's where, that's where I got my master's. You got, your, you got your master's? Okay, I got my doctorate there. That's good to know that. But at any rate, we were taking the kids over to, um, to Dallas for a field trip. And as you're coming off of uh, this, there's this steep hill going down, going across Lake Ray Hubbard, going towards Dallas on, on I-30. And some kids on the, on the van, they just started crying because they thought we were driving into the ocean. They had never, seen that much water in one place and then what they were not familiar with lake ray harbor they had never been into the dallas area so that was just one uh, one example of just how their horizons began to change and i again it's about what you're doing getting those kids into a different environment having different stimulation having different uh, opportunities presented to them so they can see Yes, I can do this. I can do that. You know, that's why I, I, when you said field trips, you know, sometimes people say that's just a waste of time, waste of money. No, the kids need to, they need to see there's a world outside that little four or five block area they spend most of the time. In. Exactly. The oohs the and ahs that we get just going over a bridge. Yes. They have literally never been outside of their three mile radius, maybe five miles in, in the neighborhood. And so one field trip, like they went on three, just to drive to the zoo mm -hmm. is a field trip. The drive coming back to the zoo from the zoo is a field trip. Well, one of the things that I think you, you also represent is something that I used to talk about when I used to teach was, you know, they, we used to have this, this law about no child left behind. And, and that was changed to something else after uh, President Obama came in, I believe. But I was always struck by this notion of uh, I, that we focus on the school. And, and, and I always ask my students to think of a, of, a, of a pyramid or a triangle that has three points to it. On one point is the school, 
another one is the family, and the other one is the community. And they all work together. Ideally, they work together. But too many times the pundits, and the media, and these politicians, they don't focus on the family and the community, they focus on the school. Yeah. And say, look how dysfunctional those schools are. These teachers aren't doing this and we, they're wasting, <laughs> how is it? Instead of no child left behind, if we said no community left behind or no family left behind, the schools are going to be good. But when you yeah. focus only on the school and you, because you have kids who come to you and, you and your colleagues do as well, they come from all kinds of circumstances. Maybe they come from a dysfunctional community or a dysfunctional family, and they bring that to school with them. But thank God there are people like you who, who don't look at their dysfunction, and I'm, I don't wanna put words in your mouth. You don't look at their dysfunction, you look at what it is, the potential they have and what you want to do for them because you have been there yourself. I think you yeah. talked about at the beginning, one of the things that, that helps you to do what you do is that you can identify, and that was in the article in the Washington Post, because you can identify with so many of those youngsters and the struggles that they had, and, and, and you have that empathy, and that empathy is a strong word, but it's not quite strong enough, that you, you have walked in their shoes, right? Yes, I def definitely, definitely have, and so, and so some, sometimes I feel like, well, maybe, maybe I'm too hard on other teachers because I do get frustrated when I see colleagues or peers. I just feel like, man, they just don't get it. But they might not ever be able to get it because they haven't walked in those shoes before. So when I see a child that I know uh, who's not eating well at home, or who's getting abused or, or might be getting abused, it, it, it affects me a, a little bit deeper than my peers. It's not a situation where, wow, man, these kids live a hard, they live a hard life, uh, you know, and then I go home to my family. Uh, it lingers with me. I mean, I just, on Friday, I mean, a little, a little, a little African American boy that I have right now, new to my class, um, you know, just got out of a, 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 a out of a shelter. We're trying to figure out the information on them, and mom tells the school, you know, they don't they don't have any food, they have nothing. So I I, I can't have him in my class and not have anything. So we did a, you know, I reached out. I have my mentor, uh, my mentee teacher in my classroom. He reached out on his website and we got tons of clothes. Now we got a classroom full of clothes. We gave them clothes. We're giving clothes, brand new clothes to all sorts of people and coats and this and that. Um, I bought him some groceries on Friday. We drove the groceries uh, to their apartment. I mean, there's just things that I try to do every single year, big ticket items that uh, to close the gap at my at my campus so this year i'm trying to get a uh, a new playground i'm trying to get uh new uh uniforms like actual uh came up with a, a race of passage program so i'm trying to get uh the blazers and the skirts for the little girls that, that have a sense of pride for fourth fifth and sixth grade i'm trying to i'm trying to fund that i'm trying to get a new digital marquee so we can celebrate the kids' birthdays and different achievements and, and let the community uh, see uh, what's going on. And also our uh, janitor, our head uh, custodian, I mean, he's like 60 now, little short man. He has to get up on that ladder, 12 feet in the air and change that. He's an African-American. I'm trying to help him out and, and get, get that. Uh, Lord willing, this Friday, I leave to go to Houston um, to do a commercial for uh, Texas Teachers uh, Alternative Certification Program that I went through, but now it's called, uh, I think it's called Leaders of Tomorrow. But they wanted me uh, to do something, do like a year long campaign with me, and I had to hold them accountable. I'm not doing nothing for free. So these are the three things that I need accomplished. How are you gonna help me accomplish that? So supposedly I'm supposed to go down there and get a big check, hopefully, 
it's big enough to accomplish at least one of the goals. And then I'll be able to bring, bring that back to the school and continue every year. I'm trying to push the envelope of what society thinks one teacher can accomplish. And so it it just never, it, it never stops. Um, I have stopped trying to be the best teacher a couple of years ago. I, I now focus on being the most impactful educator. Being an educator is different than being a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I do 360 degrees of education. Um, I'm not only changing the lives of the students that I serve, but the community as a whole, the parents. I'm trying to push the envelope. I'm trying to see if we started tracking it, can I change the crime rate in my area in five years? So I'm thinking on things like that while achieving at an extremely high level in the classroom on the stuff that I have to do, my, my technical um, job description. Well, that's, that's music to my ears, uh, Eric, because you, you're looking at the community. You're saying, what impact can we have on the community? And if we can improve things in the community, that's going to, the kids going to benefit from that. The school is going to benefit from that. And some things, we, we can sometimes address the problem or we can address the symptoms. And sometimes we have to do both of them, look at the problem and the symptom. And, and I just applaud you. I, I just, um, I think your, your story is one that people need to, to hear about. As I t- said at the beginning, I think it's inspirational. I think uh, the, the sacrifices that you've made, the commitment that you've made, and the, the calling that you have to be not just a teacher, but to be an educator, as you say, because uh, you, you're looking at working with the whole student. You're not just concerned about their academic performance or their, their intellectual abilities. You, you, you're trying to instill in them some, some hope, some hope for the future. Yeah. Because once a child lose hope, loses hope, it's all over. It's all over yeah. because um, if, if I don't have, if I can't see a future for myself, if I can't have hope and think that there's a better tomorrow than this, mess I'm in today. Um, I'm just not going to care. I'm not going to care about me. I'm not going to care about you. I'm not going to care about anything else. And, and then you factor that in with when people are hopeless, they really don't care whether they live or die. You know, the life expectancy of some, you know, kids, I, I read someplace one time that we have high school kids, 17, 18 year old kids who don't expect to live beyond the age of 19 or 20. And, and they're making plans about how they want to be buried, what kind of casket they want to be laid out in. And that's that hopelessness that really gets in the way of, 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 of success in life. And, and once what, what you're doing and what needs to be done is to instill hope in those children, knowing that somebody cares about them. Somebody is there every day advocating, holding them accountable, holding themselves accountable and is engaged in action. Your triple A's there, right? And, and the kids see that and the parents see that, the community sees that. And, and I think whoever has nominated you for teacher of the year, they saw that. And I think as you move to that next level of, I hate to say competition, but that, that recognition as one of the best teachers in this country, um, I, I'm, I think we have lots of people who will be rooting for you, Mr. Hale. That uh, oh, you, you, not only for yourself, but what you are, the message that you, that you, that you are putting out there, and what you represent, the, the, the hope that you are putting forward. You, you, it's, it's like a model. It's like a, a belief system that you are promoting, and you're getting people to buy into that. You're getting people to support it. You're getting people to write checks and, and doing all the things that need to be done because you know one person, one person can make a difference, right? I believe so. I mean, you look at some of the great educators and African-American men of the past, they were able to do such uh, phenomenal things. Uh, Marcus Garvey, um, of course, Martin Luther King, John Lewis, uh, Roberson, 
Du Bois, uh, Booker T. Du Bois, you 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 name it. Yes. Uh, yes. And 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 in in fields that black men weren't supposed to be in. Right. It's it's very it is it's definitely not a curse. Um but I do realize the that I one I I realize that, you know, I'm the first black man that was recognized, but I'm not the first black educator in Texas in the history that deserved to win. There were a lot of closed doors on phenomenal educators in the past. So I'm standing on their shoulders. But I also realize I'm holding the uh, invisible weight of my conduct as the first black male Texas State Teacher of the Year in regards to how soon we will have another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Texas has been in this competition, in the national competition, I think since 57. And we are in 2020, almost 2021. And I'm the first black man in a, in a state that has a very high population of African-Americans. So just the gauntlet to even get to the finals, um, and it's just an, uh, an, an a tribute to having faith of a mustard seed and, and the power of prayer. I'm very proud that I didn't have to be a mousy man to make it as far as I've made it so far. Right. And, and I want to make I, sure. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I... I I gave you the right designation. You're the first black man named teacher of the year. That you, you, yes, you're not the first black teacher. You're the first black male. There's teacher. been four. There's been four black women that have actually won their uh, category and uh, was chosen to represent the state of Texas. Okay, but there's never before me. There wasn't even a black male that was a, that was a finalist. So I could have won state teacher of the year for my category, which is elementary school, which I felt in my heart, I deserve that. And I should win that. What I did not expect was when it came down to me and the other gentlemen who represented all of middle school and high school, that they would actually make the face of Texas public education be a black man because there was no evidence that they were ready to do that because they've never did it before. So I was the first black man that was even a finalist for his category. Mm-hmm. So even, so once I won for elementary school and I could say, okay, I'm the state elementary school teacher of the year for all the elementary school, I had already made history. But that second round, when they said I was actually going to represent the state of Texas, that's just, that's just God because it just had never happened before. So I was like, well, what are the chances of me being the, the person that uh, it happens to? Well, they couldn't, they couldn't take it from you. I mean, your, your works uh, precede you. They represent who you are. Um, your, your community supports you. Your kids support you. The family support you. The work that you have, that you have done, the things you've achieved, they are evident. They are they are documentable. That's it's, there's evidence that you have done these things. So, um, kudos to those people who recognize your efforts and and your commitment to the kids. And what a great way to honor you and and in the process honoring your kids and your community and your school and the families that 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 school serves. And I. And I know you see this not just about Eric Hale. I, I'm saying the same thing again. It's not just about Eric. You're, you, you stood on the shoulders of, of, of black men who came before you. And, and they are young black men who are going to stand on your shoulders. And that's how yes. each generation passes. There's somebody there. Um, I think Du Bois talked about as we, as we go up that ladder, we, we bring somebody with us. We don't just go up that ladder by ourselves. We bring somebody along with us. And, 
And I applaud you for doing that and instilling in these youngsters this notion that I can do it. I have hope for the future. And, and I think one of the other thing that, things that I like about what you're doing is that you are working at the elementary level. It's not middle school, not high school. You don't see a lot of men working in elementary schools. And you don't and see I do it. it. And you don't see a lot of black men working at, in elementary schools. And because to me, that is so foundational for our kids. It's foundational for all kids. But, you know, there, there's research that shows that if we don't intervene in the lives of our, of our young black boys by the fourth grade, we've almost waited too late. And, and they need to see, and, not, and, and you talked about it in the article, it's not just black kids and Hispanic kids who need to see you, but white kids need to see you too as somebody who is out here teaching and and, and, and being doing not just teaching, but being excellent in your teaching. And you have these, these high expectations of kids and you're making a difference in the lives of all kids. And, and I just think you're just a, you're, you're a great example. You're a great ambassador for educators all over the state of Texas, elementary, middle, whatever the, the level is. And, and I'm just happy um, that you're getting this recognition because again, it's not just Eric Hale being recognized is what he stands for and who he is representing his community and his kids. They're the ones who are also being recognized and, and lifted up. Uh, what I want to do exactly. is one of the things that we didn't talk about is your, your educational track. Uh, I know you, you have a degree from Wright State in, in Dayton. Bring us up to date when you graduated from high school. Were you in Oregon then when you graduated from high school or? I, I actually, um, well, my mom had a nervous breakdown. And so in the middle, when she had a nervous breakdown, she started to uh, introduce the crack cocaine. And so that went on about six months to a year before I broke down and I told my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother immediately came down the same weekend, packed up everybody's stuff, and we moved to Portland, which sounds great. But what's interesting, before they did gentrification in Portland, <laughs> all of Oregon's black population lived in northeast Portland, north, northeast Portland, MLK. It, and at one point, it was a thriving African-American uh, community, almost like a free town. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like, wow, I didn't know so many black people lived in Oregon. But it was actually that all of the black people that lived in Oregon in one lived area. In <laughs> one area. Yeah. And so it actually made my mom's drug addiction worse. Because she went from having to drive to, in my side of town, it was a lot of gang violence. But the, you know, like drug dealing as far as like crack cocaine wasn't on our side, it was on the south side. So she would have to drive way across town to get it to where she could just walk across the street to like the drug dealers park where like middle school kids were selling drugs. So it was actually, we ended up moving to a worse place for her, for her addiction problem. Hmm. So the drugs are right outside the window where we lived in Portland by Unthank Park. And so I ended up uh, running away and living down the street from my mother at my Aunt Rose's and uh my grandma's sister and, and and that changed my life uh love them you know my aunt rose and my grandma and the tutelage and and they've always looked out for me um you know i lost both of them i lost my grandmother almost maybe two years almost two years or see i was on kelly clarkson i spoke about her and she had just died july i guess my grandmother has been I think a year, a year and a half, my grandmother passed uh, away and she had a huge impact on me. So my mother got clean, but a lot of times when you get clean off of hard drugs, you're, you're never the same. So our, our relationship was never the same. She felt like I abandoned her when she needed me. And I felt like, hey, I, I was escaping. I was, you know, so she got clean from from that addiction and moved back with my brother and sister back to the, to the homestead. So I was really getting trapped and I was like, well, man, if I'm this good in Portland running in the rain, if I ran in Phoenix, I'm really going to be 
a terror. So I came back for my senior year. We were in Portland from seventh, the middle of seventh grade to my senior year of high school. Then I came back to Phoenix, but my mom and, and, and brother and sister had been back like maybe two years before I, I came back. Needless to say, that was a horrible decision because the bond of a mother and a child was gone. She looked at me like I was a man that she did not like because she felt like I left her when she needed me. I looked at her differently because of things that I saw because of the drug addiction. So once that kind of closeness is gone and a child is like 17 and a half, I I mean, it's it's not going to go well. So I'm constantly getting kicked out the house. You know, I, I was homeless in high school my senior year for chunks of the, of the time. Ended up graduating, um, moving out with my best friend from life. We've been best friends our whole life. Um, a bond uh, that came together through tragedy, actually, when, when his brother uh, was, was murdered. Um, I mean, still friends to the day. Best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But uh, we got an apartment together. And I was still chasing this college dream. The only thing I knew about college was uh, the Cosby show in a different world, yeah. literally. <laughs> right. Like, like it, yeah. nobody in my neighborhood had been to college. Uh, it, it, I'll tell you a funny story when we get there. But so I went to a community college and I, um, one, I, I was nominated like the, black student body president i always had a uh, once i got um introduced by the one good teacher i had mr gumpert actually a white gentleman introduced to the writings of marcus garvey malcolm x and black literature i uh just was thirsty for knowledge itself and so once i got it i i've always had it and so i was a black student body president um, at the community college and my advisor, Mrs. Jones, she said, you're too big for here. She was like, I think you can do incredible things. She said, if I can get you to a real college, would you go? I said, yeah, I'd go. Well, come to find out she was the head of the alumni chapter of the West coast chapter of Wilberforce university, mm-hmm. which is the first black private school uh, founded in American uh, history. I think it's, it was named after uh, the abolitionist, uh, I think his name is James. I think it was James Wilberforce. Uh, uh, I think he was from London or uh, the UK. It was an American abolitionist. But uh, basically, uh, they hooked me up with my, with my work study. I worked in financial aid. She was a Delta, and she just got that connection, and they paid for my flight. It was just like the movies. I had never even seen snow. <laughs> I flew to Ohio with a jean jacket and like one suitcase and they had signs and, you know, Eric Hale and they picked me up from the airport and I started at Wilberforce. The only reason why I didn't stay and graduate from Wilberforce was sadly the president at the time was embezzling money oh. and I was paying like out of state tuition. So then I had to make another game time decision. What am I going to do? I can't afford to be here, but I'm not going back home as a failure. I'm not. So God worked it out again. I was able to transfer seamless to Wright State because Wilberforce was like on try something weird where they were on like three semesters a year and Wright State was on the traditional two. So I didn't lose any credits. So, and I think at the time they needed more black students. So during Christmas break, I transferred just right on in there. And I never told anybody that I transferred schools and when I literally, when I picked up my grandmothers and my mom for my college graduation, I drove them by Wilberforce and I kept dr- driving and I took them to Wright State and they couldn't believe it. They're like, hmm. you go, you, you're graduating from here, this big stadium. <laughs> and you never told us, that. I didn't want to worry anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I graduated from there, I flew back home thinking I was going to change the world. I got a degree. I was the Pied Piper of college education. I was trying to get everybody in the hood to do the fast foot. Mm-hmm. I heard you at the college. Look, we're going we to do this. 
but nobody wanted it. Uh, my my mom, I was on the outskirts, outskirts of the hood. Uh, my mom gave me a little down payment for my first little ghetto apartment, and we were at Walmart trying to, you know, just get some stuff for my little apartment. And I was getting checked out by a girl that I, this real girl who was so pretty, didn't have no time for me in high school, but she was the cashier at the Walmart, and she was going crazy, and she was like, "Oh man, you look so nice now." And where were you? I, I heard, I heard you did some, you did some time. And I said, some time. She was like, yeah, I heard you went to prison. I was like, I went to college. But that <laughs> is it's funny. But, but that just shows you how, all, how, how, how it is growing up in the inner city. It, it was more viable in her mind that I, I went to prison right. than I went to college. Because she and knew more people. She knew more people who had gone to prison than had gone to college. Yes. And she 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 couldn't fathom the whole concept of like, oh, okay, yeah, you went to community college. Oh, you know, like like a real like with dorms and like a real brick and mortar college. It, it, it was very she couldn't conceptualize it. And so that's something that always, uh, I will always remember that stands out. And actually, when you think about it, how sad that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it had to do with expectations. You, you live in a, an environment where the norm is you don't go to college. The norm is you're probably going to end up in prison. And if you have been away for a while, the assumption is that the reason you've been away for a while is that you, you've been serving time. Uh, you, yeah. you get an education and, and and thank god that you have um you broke out of that i hate to say broke out of that but you you were led in a different direction and you made some decisions about your life and you know again your background odds are you weren't supposed to get out of those out of those situations you you, you came from a home where you had a schizophrenic stepfather you had all the things that went on there, mother who was addicted to drugs and um, people had low expectations of you and, or, you know, really thought, well, this, this kid is just, just so poor. I just don't know if he's going to be able to make it, but you, you came out of that. You came out on the other side and then look at you now. I mean, I, I hope yeah. those people back yeah. in Phoenix and Portland and, and, um, even Wilberforce and, and, and Wright State can look at you as somebody who who not only represented their institutions or your institution, but in the process, you have done such a, a, a great job of representing yourself and your family and your community. And I applaud you for that. Now, you said you, you went to Texas A&M Commerce, huh? For my master's. For your master's degree, yeah. So I Tell me about that. I got my master's in 2015, and uh, it was just something that, that I, I was just like, I, I, I want to get it. I think I can, I can do it. With the support of my wife, I had, I had uh, the support of my wife and just to see if I could do it. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to get my uh, master's in education, and it, and it came in handy. Because I later asked them um, this summer to provide me with laptops for all of my students. Because uh, this this summer, um, I decided that I wasn't going to take a summer break. I didn't want to leave my kids uh, in in the situation with the pandemic. And so, the day after Governor Abbott decided to close down the schools was really my first day of the twenty to twenty one school year. And so I came up with a little operation and uh, we've been working ever since. Mm -hmm. I decided to loop with my kids. So I went from teaching kindergarten and first grade to now I'm teaching first and second. So I moved up with my kids and we're just moving and grooving and, you know, loving and learning and trying to make it happen. And uh, so, so many, there's been so many little intersections where I look back on it now and I'm like, man, that was God at work mm -hmm. way back then. Even though we didn't know it at the time, but you look back on it now, oh, that's why I went through that. That's why I experienced that. And you, you realize when you come out on the other side or you continue moving forward, you can 
look back. And that's one of the, the, the name of my podcast is looking back, moving forward, because it's one thing to look back, but if you just keep looking back, you can't see where you're going. Right. So exactly. you, you think about your looking back, you can talk about where you came from and that's important to tell that story, but it's equally important to talk about where are you going? What are you doing with this? You know, the leverage that you've been able to use to get money for your school. And, you know, not too many people would do what you've been doing. And, and that's, um, uh, that's a godsend. That's, that's providential in some ways. So I, I just want to, I've said it before several times <laughs> tonight, but I want to say it again that I, I, I feel um, I commend you. And, and I come from a background of education. I, I got my doctorate from, it was at that time, East Texas State University in Texas A&M Commerce. And I actually worked, lived in commerce for gosh, about 30 years. And um, oh, wow. I was on the school board there in commerce for about 15 years. So I was deeply embedded in the commerce community. And I'm very happy that they were able to help you with your, your, your technology needs there. Yeah, actually, uh, it's another godsend. Um, an older gentleman, I've, I pride myself, and I think it's because of the love that was shown to me by my, my, my grandmother and her sister. I've learned so much by wise individuals, and I've learned to just kind of, you know, sit close to them and listen and be able to learn lessons through the eyes of the wise. Yes. And um. Uh, uh, a really good uh, brother. I'm sure you know him. Uh, he kind of took me under his wing there, and he's in my inner circle, and he's just been a blessing to my life. Um, Mr. Daryl Peace. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Daryl's so, over there with the alumni uh, yeah, association. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know Daryl yeah, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're fraternity and, and, brothers. <laughs> okay, and Daryl and Daryl is has been a godsend. And actually, um, in the summer, when we gave away the technology, he came. He was out there. We had the DJ booth. All, all of my, so it's not just me. God has placed strong brothers around me that I respect. Um, and, 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 and another uh, one of your fraternity members is, is like my big brother. He's a mentor to me. His name is uh, Kevin Malonson. Uh, we are, are as tight as can be. And he's uh, the executive director for Teach Plus. Okay. of Texas and we, we got together and he, and he's alpha, um, um, from Texas, university of Texas in Austin. Mm -hmm. And he has great stories about when he was younger and he went something, he had to do something and he met Mr. Peace. Helped okay. him, okay. And which is just like such a small world yeah. that he was, and Mr. Peace was like, I kind of remember you, but he re remembers Mr. Peace fondly from when he was, when he was younger. And so right. he's, He's um, an alpha. Well, he just, he just those alphas, yeah. those alphas are everywhere. They, they tend to just show up in places and <laughs> yeah. do stuff. And that's not to yeah, knock other, they other uh, fraternities, but uh, I'm, I'm proud of the black and gold and, and like Daryl and the gentleman you're talking about. Well, Eric, it's, there's so much more we can talk about and maybe we'll get together again and, and talk some more. But I, uh, tonight I just wanted people to know your story because everybody has a story to tell. And I know there, there are people who perhaps will listen to this and, and take a, have a different perspective on, on education, have a different perspective on teachers, because so many people have these negative views of teachers and you know, they, 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 just, they get off work at four o'clock and they just have their summers off and they have this cushy, cushy life. And, and you and I both know that being a teacher it's not just a career choice. It's, it's a calling. You don't do it for the money. <laughs> you just don't do it for the money. And not, not at all. no, you, you do it because you, you care about the kids. And I think that that is something that you can't fake it. You can't um, do anything. It's either there or is it not there. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending the time with me and, um, I'm going to tell Daryl that he should listen to this podcast because we do sing his praises here. And, uh, exactly. and, uh, and, and I will be in touch. And I thank you once again so much for, for taking the time to do this. And good luck at the, the next level of competition 
as you represent the state of Texas in the, the national competition here. And, and thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show, to even be connected with a man like you. If you ever need me for anything, you're part of my story now. Uh, just reach out to me. We'll do it, man. Okay. My best to your family and, and God bless and, and continued success uh, there at Burnett. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. All right.